BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Welcome on to a Wednesday night edition of the pod. Big news here. I'm going to actually start appending a section where we talk about the world news regarding the coronavirus. And Ben Taylor is actually hopefully going to be a regular guest for that. So that's at the end of here. I know a lot of you guys aren't here to listen to coronavirus stuff. I completely understand that you wanting to get away and I really love talking about basketball still that's going to be the meat of this program always but because I've just been doing so much reading about it and it's so much uh, on my mind and I think there's so much news to get through I thought that Ben is someone who I really respect his opinion he he is a background in following research and I know he has been very much paying attention to everything that's been going on for a long time before I was. So it was good to have the discussion. We recorded that previously. I think it was pretty good. So please check that out if that's something you're interested in. If not, though, let's talk some basketball. And that will be a topic of the 2021-2020 USA Olympic basketball team. The news that the Tokyo Olympics will be delayed to 2021 made this a good time because it changes the way you think about a lot of this stuff. And there will be you know, practical effects that we don't know yet because one of the huge wrinkles potentially, especially with basketball not being the centerpiece of, of Olympic activities, is when they will occur. And so it's entirely possible that it will overlap with the NBA season whenever that is. So that is something to consider. Another important factor is not only is it a year or so later, but also switching to 2021 triggers something that has been a, a part of Olympic drama before, which is pending restricted free agents. The 2020 class didn't really have a lot of guys that were pending free agents. Generally, those guys are a little bit reluctant to play in the Olympics, even though depending on when they are, sometimes they will have already signed their contracts, but for the the ramp up and everything else, sometimes that can get in there. And yeah, another thing we talk about too is if we do resume, you know, say in July, August, September, and then we go into a short break, another season that starts around Christmas that maybe runs a little bit later, as, as you mentioned, that conflict of just the dates. I mean, we were already going to be up against it this year with the NBA Finals with, you know, someone like Giannis having to go play in the Olympic qualifying tournament, but also just the fatigue level, I, I think, of having played that much consecutive basketball. We'll see what, if, yeah. if there's a truncated season, both the end of this season and then the whole next season too. Right. And it, it's not going to necessarily be truncated in the way that like compressed the way that like a lockout season was that, you know, that sort of like, you know, back to back to backs or all that sort of stuff. But the cumulative of not getting an off season, maybe playing like a season and a half, especially if your team makes a playoff run both years 
that could be a, a really big challenge. And so that's a, a part of the inspiration for the two of us was the was the delay because then you have to think about things differently. But another part of that also inspired us to go deeper with this because I think even though there are marketing opportunities and it's a big thing and, you know, depending on where this is within Greg Popovich's career, he has committed to still doing it even though it got pushed back a year or thereabouts. I, we wanted to be deeper because there could be guys that that pull out and so that but again we would ha- we would talk about larger groups anyway because it is a deep pool of players that are eligible to play for the American Olympic team that are worthwhile and something you and I both enjoy not only the differences between international play and the NBA but also that remember you're building a team you're not just built saying who are the 12 best American born or American eligible players in the in the world it's okay okay, how does this guy fit in? Do you need a defensive guy? How many centers do you want? All that sort of stuff. And that's part of the reason you and I have loved this exercise basically as long as you and I've known each other. Yeah, I'm... I think that people are going to be really excited for this Olympics just in general, assuming that we're out of this ravine by then and that these Olympics actually go on as scheduled in 2021. But people are just going to be so excited to have not only a sporting event, but a sporting event where the world is able to get together to to do the very things that we're not able to do right now, I, I think is going to be huge. Let me ask you this before we start. How much do you put on the idea that certain players for as good as they are in the NBA, have seemed to struggle in international competition, right? For example, Brooke Lopez and Chris Middleton both had some major problems in the World Cup. I don't put a ton on it. I think there are some sample size issues. And one thing that I, I do... Think, fo- I think the powers that be are, might put a oh, ton on Oh, it. I, I agree with you. But this isn't projecting who Colangelo and Pop yeah. and all that are going to pick. It's who, it's who we would do. Um, and... I think, though, that there are, there are some differences, but one thing that I, I fixate on a little bit, so there are kind of two big areas that are different with Olympic basketball. One is a rules thing, and one is a kind of context thing. With the American team, it's very different than the rest of the world. So first, the rules thing. The three-point line is closer. So if there are players who have a little bit of shakiness in it, but you think that that being a little bit closer can make a difference, maybe it makes them more reliable. Now, it also can make good shooters better. You know, that's something, you know, it's not like Steph Curry's going to be hurting because the line's closer. He'll, he'll benefit too but like for example somebody like Marcus Smart I do feel a little bit more confident when the line gets a little bit closer for him and then he becomes more of a threat and remember that an important part of three-point shooting is not just making the shots it's also being defended out there and so I thought that was one thing and then the other part is that the U.S. team has by virtue of just who the great players are in the league that are that are eligible for the USA team a lot of great creators and so players who are ver- who that is their best thing but are not in the elite class there just isn't as much of a point of them unless they're good shooters and can do other things well yeah there's one player in particular we're going to get to that uh, i think is going to be a very controversial discussion for this team to me i thought that there were five players that i think are just assuming they're healthy should be absolute locks for this team and that and this this would be my starting lineup Stephen Curry at the one, although kind of playing more of a shooting guard role. Paul George as essentially the two. Kawhi Leonard as the three. He would be your end of game ISO scorer type. LeBron would be the four, and but essentially play point guard on offense. And then Anthony Davis as your center. Those to me are the five players. And if Clay Thompson were healthy and we knew that he would be back, I would put him in there 
as the sixth and if Kevin Durant were healthy and we knew he'd be back and playing at the, the level that we were accustomed to him playing before the injury he would be a seventh but those would be the ones that I think would be the core of the team that are just absolute no-brainer locks to me and then you can kind of fill in around those guys to complement them yeah I'm, I'm largely in agreement with you and one of the logistical challenges that is a part of the Olympics that we don't necessarily have to do in this exercise is there are some damn good players that you didn't mention that most notably the guy who was the runner-up for the MVP last year in his top three this year James Harden and Harden the biggest problem was that the things that he is great at aren't as he isn't as great at those things as some of the other players on the team and his defensive limitations and all that so if Harden is willing though to come off the bench if he's willing to be an important part of the team especially if somebody got hurt then by all means that's what that's why you need him because he is still a great offensive engine I do think that there are and if you wanted to just have a guy who's going to iso a little bit more run pick and roll then yeah you could put it in his hands but i think there are players who are as good at, at that as he is and then he is much worse than they are at playing off the ball on offense and obviously defending on defense although this is a team that's probably going to do a lot of switching so your concerns about him not being uh that you basically have to play a switching system with him defensively they're a little bit lower you know that that's a reason maybe to throw him in there as a little bit more of a six-man score but yeah i mean he doesn't play with a lot of athletic force at this point but i mean i think you need him on the team but more really for his redundancy than him being essential to the core lineups right and it's entirely possible that he's uncomfortable not being a part of the starting five and closing five and more more power to him i mean if he if he wants to go through that and the other player for yeah well i think I think Adidas will be comfortable with him being on the team. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. Maybe as long as they don't try to block it out in the team pictures and all that fun stuff. Um, but <laughs> the other one for me uh, that I would have on the, the must include list, and you know, this is another difference of opinion. We've talked about this player a lot in the in the last week plus, is Damian Lillard. I think Lillard is a cut above the other point guards. Also, you know, the passage of time, he'll be, he'll be 30 if the Olympics take place in July of 2021. Totally fine. You know, Chris Paul will be 36 then. So, and Kyrie. There are plenty of things. I, I yeah. for both personality reasons and everything else, and just I think he's a better player. I, I think Lillard is the second best point guard in the world, and also a really good fit with the rest of this team because he doesn't do as much as Steph Curry off the ball, but he has some of those tools. And so playing with LeBron and Kawhi and KD, like his ridiculous range and everything else, would work well. I actually, if you could guarantee me that they were both playing at their current levels right now, I actually would rather have Kyle Lowry o- over him. You because for of the de- a couple, defensive yeah. versatility. Well, and not only that, it's just like this team needs someone who makes his living by playing hard, and he also doesn't need the ball. Yeah, well, I'm talking about who's going to be a, a key player, and yeah, there are there are definitely other players we can throw in that that'll be part of that. But I, as just a help defender, intelligence, ability to switch, which Lillard doesn't necessarily have, and uh, I think he's. I actually like Lowry a little bit more as an off-ball player uh, than I do. I also love Lowry's hit-ahead passes and transition, the way that they've played in Toronto this year. I, mean, I think if you go back and look, for example, the 2016 Olympics, Lowry was essential. He was, to me, was better than Kyrie Irving in those Olympics. Uh, Kyrie will be another uh, controversial discussion, I, <laughs> I'm sure. But um, but I, the concern is just that Lowry won't be the same guy a year yeah, I mean, and he'll a half be, from he'll now. Yeah, he'll be 35 then, and that's you know that's a yeah. lot. That's that's the same that's the same concern with Chris Paul too I think I probably if you I would probably rather have Chris Paul as he's playing right now on this team than Lillard 
Uh, but you know, Lillard is obviously a great offensive player. He can shoot deep three pointers. He's going to get guarded, uh, all that stuff. I, I mean, he's a, a very much a worthy inclusion. It's just that I think the skill set of Lowry and perhaps Paul would be better if, in fact, uh, they are still playing at the same level, which they may not be. And so, um, well, so here, here's a way. Here's yeah, a way I think of framing framing this conversation, and then we can we can work through it. Well, so. well, here let's uh, let's take a break, and, we'll, and then we'll get to that. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house. Get that 100-night trial. They're 10 to 15-year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine 
issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that capspace code to let them know you came from us Okay, so before the break, you were talking about there's a, a way you wanted to frame the rest of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. So for me, I had, we've already talked about all of them. I had seven guys in the, what I call definite if they want to do it. And so that's LeBron, Steph, Kawhi, AD, Harden, Lillard, and George. I had the same starting five as you, the other two guys. It's kind of, if you want to do it, we have a place for you, all that. Then the other, the next group was the if healthy slash recovered enough, which is KD and Clay Thompson, both, both players who, if they're even close, like really close to where they were pre-injury, they're no brainer. I think I feel more confident in Clay in many ways because his game doesn't rely as much on athleticism, but more because it's an ACL. And at that point, he will be about two years out. If it's in, if it's a July Olympics, he'll be about two years out. So if he wants, I think he's a great fit in a lot of ways for, for what this team would be, you know, no issues in terms of personality. Okay, so let's, let's say you take those players as givens to some degree then i think what's worthwhile yeah. is going position by position well, well so, can i ask you this though what is the biggest need now if you're gonna say i mean we're in agreement that all we're at what nine nine guys here nine guys we're but you assume some of them aren't gonna go right right but, but let's say all the, I mean, we're, we're talking pie in the sky here so let's say all nine of those guys are there what is the biggest need beyond that we only have one big Maybe one big, yeah, big. and and, and yeah. the big I think is is a is a complicated issue because for most of my theories with the U.S. team, you wouldn't really need that you know burly guy, and the U.S. doesn't really have that many good options for it. But if you're thinking about the twelve player roster construction i would actually be okay given how good the team is burning a roster spot on somebody that you just have for like the the specific you know like if there's a big guy that really scares you you know like the the Jokic's of the world i could see that being there though again it's a challenge of like well okay that's a fair that's a fair concern maybe but who is that guy i think the answer is very obvious to me bam out of bio he's my he's my center off the bench as well but he's not that's not what he's great at he's great at a lot of other things that i think basically but here's the thing so bam i agree with you he's my guy on the team but do you get the point that i'm saying that like against 90 percent of the opposition you're not going to need that like the the equivalent of what marcus all did to to joel Embiid in the west in the eastern conference finals last year you're not going to need that guy against most teams but do you think that's there's a utility enough because of how good the u.s team is that you can that you can have that as a luxury and the question to me is do you if if let's say you agree with that then is it worth having a third center both complicated questions by the way bucks fans very insulted that you just called uh the philly toronto series the eastern conference finals it was that's right. it was fate complete that the winner was was gonna make it uh well so this is my thought on that i i think i once thought as you did i think a lot of people once thought as you did similarly people once thought as hey we need like just that straight up shooting specialist to come in like these teams are going to zone us we need this shooting part of part of what helped with that is just our best players also were ended up being pretty good shooters uh, eventually yes. which wasn't the case on the 04 team which had no shooting that was just a terribly constructed team uh but when you get that shooting specialist in there like a michael red in 2008 or you get that 
center in there who's just there because he's a center that guy just isn't good enough to play in the other facets and so yeah that specialization you think you know but you don't you're better off to me you're better off having it about number one out of bio is a brick shithouse i i i guess i can't say that i focused in on his post defense that much but because he can switch because he can defend basically every position on the floor because he's awesome in transition he can pass he can put the ball on the floor and drive so he needs to get guarded i think all of that makes up for the fact that maybe he's not like the most experienced post defender ever i mean who who would be the option if you did want to go with more of a post defending type Brooke the, Lopez? Brooke Lopez is my choice. They're like, I mean, some yeah. of the other... Al some, Horford might be another one. Oh, no, Horford is, is uh, Dominican Republic. Never mind. Yeah. Cross him off. Um, And so I, I think that another reason why you go with Bam is just because there the lack of suitability of other options you know so it's like yeah that I think if, if there was the perfect player that fit it maybe you would choose that just as a tiebreaker of okay yeah. we work on that but I, there is I, I, I kind of think he is a perfect player in my opinion I mean for, I, for how these guys want to well, play and the other the other way that you can attack that sort of big man is just blitz and recover and all that and this team has great personnel for that so maybe you just right. you just handle those players differently and you do it through scheming rather than through personnel I, I think that, yeah, I but, think that's the other answer here and I, that's what i would support as well yeah so i i mean we generally so let's let's talk about bigs though yeah let's let's work let's work through that well okay so so we're at 10 now with bam out of bio correct and and we're we're in agreement there yeah uh, i mean that he he needs to be on this team so so the other the other bigs that are worth considering and so this you know for we can define terms however we want but so like some of the other ones worth mentioning miles turner capable shooter i think the three-point line being in there and you know he's kind of kind of a bridge you know can can be could play space the floor a little bit more if you want to play somebody with anthony davis i think that would be a nice you know having somebody like that would be a luxury yeah, they'll never ever play play anthony davis at the four though no the, they with, won't. i mean unless unless it's just a totally different team but i mean they, they have always wanted to play small even greg popovich when it got down to brass tacks and part of that was because lopez was bad and turner was only okay he was playing harrison barnes at center for 20 minutes a game and the key moments of the games in the world cup so i just yeah. i don't see any way like i i don't see them going with a third center I, um, I don't i don't either and and the difference between turner and bam like i, I like bam's skill set more especially with this combination of players but i'm just saying other guys to consider i mean so my Miles Turner, yeah. Jaron Jackson. Well, yeah. Uh, How about uh, Zion Williamson? Absolutely. Uh, Zion is somebody that I had on my list. The challenge with Zion, I mean, he's somebody, if you want to build a 12-man team for like entertainment and all that type of stuff, like I would love to have him on the team because having him with this much passing and shooting and all that would be great. But And offensively, he'd be just such a masterful, I mean, the force that he plays with and, and having all these other things that defenses are focusing on would be amazing. But it's still true that the most important thing centers do is, de- is defend. He hasn't been good on defense. And also, he doesn't really fit either scheme. He's not a really a good rim protector and he's not switchable so he, he's he's kind of like he's a luxury and i think the u.s you know if we're talking about entertainment value they're good enough that they could do that but if i'm my goal is to build the best the best best like maximize the chances of winning the gold medal zion's not going to be on my team yeah i i'm in agreement there i think ultimately though the idea would be he's a 12th man he's needs to be in the program you don't want to upset him you yeah. he's gonna need to be the the leader of this team in 2024 potentially with a, a lot of players who may age out at that point the idea would be that he doesn't need to play that much and then he could uh you know kind of like I'm sure nike would be happy to have him there didn't ad uh, do that on one team like right after he was yeah drafted? yeah he was uh, that that's the analog he was on the 2012 team and that was uh 
when he hadn't even played at all in the NBA yet. Yeah. So, I mean, this will be, and, and this will be Zion a year and a half from now. He could be a lot more fully formed. Yeah. Um, another name that came to mind for me was Draymond Green. I think given the fact that he did not have the greatest Olympics in 2016 and kind of, you know, didn't seem to take it all that seriously. And the fact that he can't shoot, I mean, he basically would be playing as a backup center uh, and, We'll have to see where he's at. I mean, I, I, my thought would be he's pretty well down the list for me. Well, and especially because the Warriors, like, if they're they have lofty aspirations for next year, if they if they have a, you know, they're they're they don't have much of a regular season left this year, then if there's a playoffs, he's not going to be a part of that. But if they're, you know, if it's a straight push into the Olympics, that could be a challenge for him. Another one, just because he's one of my favorites, I don't think Jonathan Isaac is good enough to make this team. I, a, I'm interested in the three point line, whether that makes me less scared of his shot, but also the FIBA goaltending would be kind of fun with somebody like Isaac. I brought up years ago, I brought up Andre Drummond with this specific theory. And I think Isaac is a better fit for this team than somebody like Drummond was back then. But he doesn't make it for me. He's just somebody I thought about. Yeah, and I do think that these uh, like smart Isaac those guys, I mean, they're just not going to get guarded. And I, the history of those types of players for Team USA is not good. For whatever reason, whether they're just uncomfortable with the ball or it's the pressure or maybe the, the line is different, those types of players seem to shoot worse for whatever reason in international play. And so I, like, you need to have the guys who are just dead bang, 100% reliable. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns you can customize. Things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Okay, so so we're at 10 here. Curry and Lillard at the guards or, or at, at are the point guards. Paul George, Clay Thompson, James Harden, Kawhi Leonard as wings, LeBron and KD, power forwards, Anthony Davis and Bam are your centers. So probably we need another, uh, are we going wings here? Is that, is that what we need? Maybe one more great shooter? I don't I, know. There, I, went with, I went with two wings. 
I just okay. I Ooh. just loaded up, and uh, there were a lot of good options, and um, and also what's really nice about the wing group is that there are players that aren't really going to age out by then. There are a lot of players that I don't think will I'll be comfortable with in 2024, but like Chris Middleton, 29, Jimmy Butler, 31, or if you want to go younger, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. When I looked up, um, I don't believe he's played in Phoebe yet. OG Ananobi, it sounded like he wants to play for Great Britain because he uh, he was born there, and I mean he I think he went to high school in the U.S. But so I think he would be kind of technically eligible if he wanted to play for the U.S. And you could make a theory that we could actually I mean you and I both love him as an as an isolation defender that he could actually theoretically have a place like you know he's not as good as somebody like Jason Tatum right now, but like that you need somebody who's a little bit more limited but good at what they do. So I just wanted to mention it. Yeah, I think Tatum to me is going to be the guy that has to be on there, and I'm not sure how well his game works if he's going to do some of the ISO stuff. But spot up three point shooting, he's fine at that. Help defense, I think, is something that they're really going to need. Transition finishing, they don't really need him to be a passer. He'll have to operate as more of a play finisher, but he has some experience in that role. So I think he's got to be on there again on the idea that he's probably going to be closer to the end of the bench. But he's going to be a mainstay of the program going forward. He also has a, a lot of equity built up with USA Basketball as well. He wanted, he was on the team for the World Cup. He's played at the, at the lower levels as well. So I think he's probably going to be the one. I think they would want to take him over, say, Chris Middleton. I agree. He was, he then, was my next. He was my eleventh guy. Okay, and then so we'll mark him in, and then Zion would be my twelfth. That's if assuming that you have all the guys that we have here, which of course is never going to happen. That would probably be my team. Um, apologies to you know maybe and if Cal Lowry or Chris Paul are both playing really well, or Bradley Beal is is unbelievable at that point, or maybe Victor Oladipo is back to being to his self. Maybe Chris Middleton is just so good that that shooting the ball and he's really just like become a a all NBA type of player consistently. Maybe you, you could consider going back to him as well. So the, those would be some of the names that that I'd be considering. Um, so no Kyrie Irving. Um, I my guess would be there's no way that Kyrie isn't actually on this team in real life, which is too bad unless he's injured. Um, in, in, in which I mean that would be too bad if he's injured, obviously. But uh, I think the only way he's going to end up not being on the team is if he's injured. I think that's a reasonable interpretation now. The Nets are presumably hoping they're going to make a long playoff run, so he could also pull out for that reason. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, frankly, it wouldn't shock me if he like started over Steph Curry. Like USA Basketball has this incredible Irving fetish, and he was good in 2014. 2016, I thought he was awful. Um, defensively in particular, I thought he was re- like they should have lost some games in that Olympics, and he was a big part of it. I mean, him, Melo, and Demarcus Cousins all starting together was uh not the best coaching decision, shall we say? And, and they finally stabilized things a little bit by starting DeAndre Jordan instead. But yeah, that was uh he just th- there's no reason to have him out there because you have plenty of scoring and he's terrible defensively. So it's it just it, there's other than just he's Kyrie Irving and the name recognition and Nike and selling shoes and equity with the program, but those aren't actual basketball reasons that are going to help you to win on the court. Right. Yeah, I, I'm 100% on board with all of that. Uh, let's go through some of the other, I mean, not the other players who could potentially make it due to pullouts, due to injury, due to just guys not doing it. So well, let's start with point guards. So point guards, we've already mentioned Chris Paul, Kyle Lowry, Kyrie. 
Another name we should mention kind of in that group is Kemba Walker, age 31. Reasonable fit with all these things. Could, it'd be fun to see him play with, yeah. with this group. But then the other uh, ones... Are, another guy who didn't play that well, though he was hurt yeah. it, it, with that neck issue in the World Cup. And then the other the other two guys that I thought of at point guard are the young guns, Trey Young and John Morant. I mean, both of those guys it kind of could... You could think of them as filling the Zion role also, yeah. like potential... Neither of them, by the way, on the initial 44-man roster. Correct, uh, and and I mean there are enough. There's no enough, Zion either, actually, on that. I don't true. Think. Yeah, they went they went older guys that have more experience with Team USA on a lot of that list. Um, yeah. And Th- they'll do a new one though. They I would, would assume, of course, for, for next year. Now that it's twenty twenty one. Yeah, and so I, I think you could give Trey or Jaw the Zion spot. You know that idea of they're potentially going to be the face of the program. One of the reasons they might not want to do it is if they're not if if they're not sure which one of them it is. You know, making kind of giving that shine to one of them, and we know how being on Team USA makes it more likely that you're going to be on Team USA again in the future unless you do something really bad. And so... I think that they should both be considered. And also remember, both of those guys are going to be a lot better a year and a half from now than they are right now. And I mean, we see, we've seen the growth in young point guards and there aren't, most of them don't start out as brightly as those two have. So maybe they're looking like, you know, fringe all NBA players at the end of next season. Yeah. I mean, Trey might, might make my final team as of now. So yeah. Um, now, Though another name that I think, yeah, he's superfluous. I mean, yeah. like you have so many great creators yeah. that both we, we've, yeah. I mean, we've seen this over the years, like Lil, John Wall, guys who are all NBA type of players were upset for not making the team. And in some cases, rightfully so, like Derrick Rose in 2014. But they... There's just too much depth at point guard, and especially the way they want to play with more size, it's more useful to have uh, more wings uh, available. So another name I want to throw out there is Jaron Jackson Jr. Yes. Got to get better defensively, but I mean, obviously with his shooting ability is a fantastic fit with this group offensively because he can just stand out of the way, let these big wings attack the basket, and then bomb it from three if if help occurs. Yeah, I mean, Jaron's totally a worthy a worthy mention there. I thought I, I thought I brought him up at all the big options, but yeah, him and him and Miles yeah, maybe, maybe you did it, uh, but yeah, and Miles. Turner yeah, I mean, I think and- it's it's just and, and he's got some a little more switchability. I think perhaps he could stay in front of international guards more easily than he can a, a lot of NBA guards, and that could open that up a little bit more. But he he's still got a long way to go. Um, anything else you wanted to say on this? I mean, Jimmy yes. Butler is a name we haven't mentioned. Yeah, I wanted to go through the wings a little bit. We, we talked about Middleton and Tatum, but Jimmy Butler, age 31 season, has played on Team USA before. You could Jalen Brown, if he continues to develop, I could see a place for him on this team. Tatum would Tatum would be above him. Yeah. I mean, also, I'd, I'd rather have Brown than Butler. So would I. Even even now, I would say I would just because of Butler's lack of shooting. Butler was kind of didn't really have that great of a, a fit on the 2016 team that wasn't as good as the team we're talking about now. Assuming that we get everyone, which we may not, but um, yeah, I think that because Butler just doesn't shoot spot ups at all anymore. He's the exact kind of guy where you're just like, man, he's not getting it guarded at all. Right. And the other group that we have, like kind of positional group that we haven't talked about is guys that are really overshadowed because they, this team doesn't need what they want. And that's guys like Devin Booker and Bradley Beal. That doesn't need what they do, you mean? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, Booker and Beal, both talented offensive players, both, you know, fringe all-NBA caliber creators, though both of them are currently doing it on non-playoff teams. But Team USA, 
and there, there are players that theoretically were they like born somewhere different could be massively important parts of other international teams but the u.s just doesn't really need what they have their lack of yeah. defensive but, versatility. but if some of these guys if some of these guys can't play they'll absolutely, absolutely be on the team yeah because because they will need that shooting from those guys yeah and so like yeah booker and beal i i would actually probably go with beal over booker just because, oh easily because yeah because beal is defended more. yeah yeah yep yeah. and, and i mean yeah i don't know about trusting the jumper more like beal is down to like 32 percent from three yeah, this year so maybe maybe, but, maybe it's just it's it's hindsight bias yeah but but i think beal uh might have a little bit more equity booker like didn't even want to be on this uh this usa i guess beal didn't either though um, um and so, then somebody else so maybe that doesn't we we, doesn't really we talked about up. him a little bit before but i really like oladipo's fit with this team in various iterations depending on who would go out because of his competitiveness defensively and his ability to attack so if you put him in with some spacing like second units and just say let him attack i think that could be pretty fun um and and he can guard he can defend different guard positions you know you could use him in some different ways marcus smart just as a versatile defender i your your misgivings about would he be guarded i think are fair but his competitiveness being kind of a a tone setter type of player could be useful even though the track record yeah. as you said is not there and then we should mention donovan mitchell i mean mitchell could be could i think he's again you know it's it, he's not great enough at the things that he's good at to be worthy of making this team but he also in a year and a half could be a much better player all right we gotta uh, we can actually save news until tomorrow i think uh this is probably we're probably in good shape here so uh stay tuned if you're if you just want to hear us talk about basketball you don't want to hear me and ben taylor uh, start what's uh, probably going to be a close to daily feature uh, rounding up the COVID 19 news you feel free to sign off now uh if not we'd love to get some feedback from you uh, on what you thought since it's uh, one of our first forays into non-basketball stuff but it's been on my mind so much i think it, it's i felt like i'd at least talk about it and see how it went so uh stay tuned here for ben in just a second well this is going to be a new foray for us here on dunked on we're going to start talking daily about the coronavirus and i think one of the things that's been difficult for me is it seems like there's just so much news it's so overwhelming and so I at least don't have a lot of experience as an epidemiologist, but I do have a lot of experience in aggregating news together and trying to figure out what's important to inform people. And so that's going to be the primary purpose of this segment. And Ben Taylor has graciously agreed, at least for a little while here, to join me in this endeavor. How are you doing, man? I'm great. He told me this was a one-time thing daily. I gotta, I gotta buckle up and get ready. No, I, I know we're, what we're in for here. Yeah. Well, the epidemic will be over by Easter. That's a, you, you, as long as you uh, keep doing it until then, you'll be fine. That's what I've been told. So, um, so we clearly aren't experts on this. We have been following it very closely. Uh, we're gonna do our best to accurately relay scientifically accurate facts from uh, sources that we consider to be trustworthy. Um, so, we're, and we're just gonna try and curate the news for you in podcast form. We'll. There's gonna obviously be some opinion that leeches into this we would love to get your feedback on what you're most interested in what you think is most helpful even if that feedback is you don't know what you're talking about stop doing this I totally <laughs> totally understand that um that's probably the- that's probably coming right? <laughs> but but just you know just to echo what you're saying we do in our day jobs normally a lot of consolidation before i talked about basketball uh, i was working in companies in health collecting data i mean i read research papers regularly i've tried to keep up on these research papers that's kind of how you know we talked about the idea before we started recording here so the idea is for us not to be epidemiologists or physicians it's to kind of take that same spirit and hopefully consolidate information in a way that's really helpful just like we typically do with basketball 
The biggest news of the day, at least here in the U.S., is the soon-to-be-passed, as we record this on Sunday evening, $2 trillion stimulus bill. $2 trillion. It's not that much, really. It's not as much as it sounds. And so that is going to have a number of components. It's going to be payments to U.S. taxpayers uh, dependent upon their income, how many children they have. Those will be direct subsidies. There'll be subsidies of about a $500 billion fund that's going to receive some oversight. Unclear exactly what types of businesses that's going to go to. There'll also be funds for small businesses. And the details of that are probably quite consequential, but also too Byzantine to get into at this point, especially because we don't know exactly what's in it yet. Do you have any immediate reaction to how much this is going to help? Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing that people want to know is, you know, how are they going to get money and when? Um, it's what's laid out right now seems to be twelve hundred dollars per people who qualify. If you're an individual, you get twenty four hundred. If you're married, that extends up to you know seventy five thousand. I guess they're basing it. There's still a lot of questions for me because I guess they're basing it off of your two thousand eighteen income tax returns. There are questions um, about whether you know there's going to be a delay in receiving a check if you don't have electronic funds set up with the IRS. All that super sexy stuff that um, gets people excited. But then there's even a, a cohort of people who don't have bank accounts. And I'm reading things about you know it's going to be trickier to get them money. So I think just more questions around the logistics of those things more than anything right now for me. Yeah. One of the things I've been thinking about is just if everything is shut down, you know, it may help pe- people in terms of just paying their rent and food. I mean, that's going to be very important, but that ultimately is not a very large segment of the economy. I mean, there's a lot of things that you just people may not even be able to spend this money even if they want to you know if they're in a situation where they're not like all right struggling to pay the rent or struggling uh, to get by with food i mean i i'm not sure if there's a better way to do it but I, i wouldn't necessarily expect this to make that big of a difference until things restart again and then maybe it could help with the recovery um and obviously it'll make a big difference for people who are on the edge of not having enough right now which is obviously maybe the bigger concern I'm I'm curious, Nate, do you have uh, up in San Francisco in the Bay Area, like if you try to order something through a delivery service like Amazon Fresh or something like that, does is there a delay? You know, can you still can you still have things ordered? Or, you know, is it, what's that like? Because down here in Southern California, um, there seems to be a delay in just getting just about anything. Yeah, it seems that way. And people have even been urged to not buy non-essential items uh, on services uh, like Amazon. Um, You know, for example, if I wanted to do Instacart, uh, which we did, there was a six-day delay for that to even get a slot with Instacart. And then it was very difficult for that person to shop, uh, as it turned out, at our, our local food store, Berkeley bowl here uh which is a great grocery store and they're doing everything they can but there uh, there's a line you know two or three blocks down the street apparently so um yeah it does seem like things would be a little more difficult i mean that's one of the things that i'm sure we'll talk about in the coming days at some point of just overall supply chains and how robust are those going to be able to be in the face of shutdowns not only here but uh in other countries as well i mean that that i think is a major a major concern um yeah, if you're in, if you're listening and you're in other parts of the country, we're out here on the West Coast. I'm just fascinated to hear from people how that's going. If it's, I mean, the delays here seem like they're a couple weeks. And, uh, you know, I'm wondering about, I guess we'll get to it at some point uh, in the ensuing days, but I'm wondering about the, the sort of efficiency in the supply chain right now. Okay, so that that was pretty dry. We're off to a great start here. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, this is not this is not the sexiest stuff in the world to talk about. But uh, the other thing that stuck out to me today was Donald Trump's tweet, essentially arguing that the media was trying to get him to keep the country closed as long as possible, thinking that it would be detrimental to his election success. It's kind of funny to me, actually, because, and this is something that we've talked about a lot, if I were advising Donald Trump and I wanted him to get reelected, I would say, be as draconian as possible now so you can get this over with and the recovery will have started by the time that your uh, election fortunes uh, are going to be decided. Uh, Because it, it really seems to me like this dichotomy of, well, you have a... The economy on one hand and health on the other, and those two things are diametrically opposed. And it's just, you know, it's like the scales of justice. One goes up, one goes down. When in reality, to me, it's much more that you can't have an economy without health. So yeah, I think that's that's one of the big things that's been on the forefront of of my mind just sitting back and watching this for a while now is that idea that you just presented, which is basically a false dichotomy of like you either you either have economic health, but you sacrifice a little bit with in in lives, literally, um, or you sacrifice the economy and you save lives. And to your point, um, and I think didn't Bill Gates say something about this today as well? Like it's difficult to have an economy when you have a virus on the loose. That is, am I am I remembering that correctly? You had that, yeah, in the notes. Yeah, that's exactly what you said. There's there's no economy when the virus is out there and that if you're just if you're worried about getting sick or i mean it certainly is going to panic markets to see that hey the hospitals are so full that number one if you get coronavirus your mortality rate is going to be much higher and then number two if you have something else happen to you you know you get into a minor car wreck or you break a bone or you suffer a heart attack or something that there's not gonna be a hospital bed for you then either i mean that's it's very difficult for a society to function when you basically as we are approaching in new york already and i'm sure other places aren't far behind now just not having a healthcare system at all for not only people who have coronavirus but those who need other things so can we talk about that just that hospitalization component right now do you want yeah to, okay we, we probably have a few more news things that you want to get to but that particular component has been a huge issue for me on on my podcast about a week ago i had a statistical epidemiologist come on um and we talked a lot about uh, vagaries or issues with the case fatality rate which has kind of been more of like an obsession i think for people is it three percent is it one percent is it half a percent and i think in many ways that misses the boat because we haven't had a lot of data on hospitalization but these kinds of things you're speaking to you know uh eight typical hospitals run at 80 percent capacity there's only so many beds there's only so many ventilators these are the things that are taken to the breaking point stretched and then broken and that's when you get the collapse like you've seen in northern italy and so understanding that as this thing spreads like wildfire the the rate at which it spreads and the sort of density in time where people have it then you take that and you look at how many people need to go to a hospital it's not one in every thousand people right it's 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 far more than that and so all of a sudden no matter what you do you still have numbers that are overwhelming your hospital system and when your hospital system gets overwhelmed you've got massive problems not to mention the very real things we're seeing with hospital workers right now where they themselves are getting sick and sort of being taken out on the front lines if you will i think about the i don't know about you nate i i sort of think about a lot of this stuff in sort of like wartime terms because you have an enemy they're coming yep. at you right that's how it feels to me no i i mean 
this is, in my mind, the biggest event that's happened since World War II. And I think we will look back on it that way in terms of the disruption of life. And maybe you could say that the fall of communism, that's the only other one that comes to mind for me. September 11th, I think we thought at the time it would be that way. But then if you look at what the disruption to our daily lives was, it wasn't actually that large once once the near-term events of that were over um certainly a lot of people you know had to go to afghanistan and iraq probably doesn't happen without 9-11 and that stuff but for most people at home those events didn't change things too much this is changing is there anyone's life who isn't changed in the whole united states right now oh well i was thinking the world yeah i think that's probably the difference um between 9-11 between other wars that have taken place late 20th century early 21st century like this is global this is in nearly 200 countries um it doesn't discriminate against people this is yeah i think you can make an argument that this is not only probably the most significant thing since world war ii and historians will decide that once we get a longer runway um but i think this is something that uh you know as is challenging us in a way that maybe only war has in the past that's why i go back to that sort of like wartime mentality um and and you saw this in china right china when they went draconian in the hubei province in the lockdown they, they really switched to things that only you know china's like an ant colony right so they were just like we're, we're all going to lock ourselves down but then we're also going to make sure we coordinate you know lines and lines of trucks coming in with the proper gear we're going to tag the proper people we're going to they made what something like 14 makeshift hospitals in nearby areas i mean these are the types of measures that to me when i saw that i started thinking of like oh that that's that's what governments have done historically in wars no i i agree and that's what i think we haven't been able to do here right if if we haven't been able to send excess resources to new york which is really struggling right now maybe we should start talking about what's going on there yeah please hit hit some of that news the number of deaths are doubling on a daily basis right now they have 2800 hospitalizations there are reports a new york times article today uh, from a hospital in tween queens of people dying in the er before they're even getting to a bed and uh, andrew Cuomo did have some slightly encouraging news Uh, he said that their projections at least are slowing and they're now having hospitalizations are going to double every 4.7 days instead of every other day uh but again the data can be a little bit wonkier they're doing a good job of trying to show hospitalizations now release that data for people to work with uh westchester county in particular the rate of infection is slow that's really the first place uh, i think it was new rochelle where maybe in the country where any kind of actual lockdown was enacted and but still i mean this is if they've done these methods in the last week or so you're really almost two weeks behind right when people contract this to when they're going into the hospital so it's going to get much worse even if things are getting better in terms of the number of people being infected right at this very moment there's i mean it's what makes this virus so difficult right it's it's a two-week lag time really between when these cases really start getting severe and when they're infected yeah and i think that's worth reiterating i imagine most of our audience here is already you know in tune with that but any you know even just going back to 
Trump's tweet, like even any kind of uh, flattening of the curve, lag time results, slowing down, uh, doubling rates of hospitalization to only every five days. I mean, you're always going to be about two to three weeks behind your measures, assuming your measures were taken by most of the population. And so the idea here with New York City is that even though they're getting slammed, they're they're a hotspot, they're starting to show the same um, sort of healthcare stress that we've seen in other parts of the world, specifically northern Italy, it's a good sign if you're trending away from that direction and starting to slow things down. Yeah, I mean, it's not so much about the raw rate of increase as the rate of increase in the rate of increase being slowed down. Yeah, it's the, a little the, a little calculus. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Worked a little uh, calculus and not dry enough here. <laughs> and and that's something that I've been thinking about here is just and all the available evidence indicates that this is a natural phenomenon of course, but if you were to design a virus that could spread the furthest among the human population and could cause the most pain among humans this might be it right i mean in terms of like something that naturally could exist i mean there's because you have this long incubation period you have varying reports but it seems at least some indications that healthy people are able to spread this thing or at least when you have very mild symptoms you're able to spread this thing and then it doesn't necessarily cause most people to be incredibly sick, but it does do that for some people. It's enough to overwhelm the medical system. And so you, you've got this thing where you're not going to take it seriously at first. The, there are enough talking points where you, oh, it's just the flu, whatever. And it's very easy to spread this idea of, oh, well, it's just all, it's only old people that it's going to affect. I mean, this is like, it's, it's a, this virus almost has been marketing itself in some ways, like, because there are ways for people to talk themselves out of believing that it's as serious as it actually is. Yeah. I mean, I think probably in theory, it could be worse. Again, I'm, I'm no immunologist, but uh, in trying to read about these things, what you're really getting at is this balance between like, if the thing is more potent, like Ebola is way more potent, but as a result of that, it seems harder to have a longer incubation period and you can identify it. This this yeah. is the silent killer. This lurks in the background. Right. And, and you're not going to get Ebola and then hop on a flight and fly right. around for five days. Right. And, exactly. And also, it's just so horrific and the mortality is so high that when it pops up, people are like, oh, my God, we have to act on this immediately. I mean, it's incredible to me. And I mean, you were on this before I was. I was on it probably before 90% of people were or whatever. Uh, but it's so easy to just, ah, you know, it's just happening in China. And if it gets here, it's, you know, it'll be okay. It's not the end of the world. You know, it will, it's just like the flu. Like, it's just very easy to not be that concerned. I mean, it, it's, it was foolhardy, but we all blew it. I mean, to, to some extent. And whether it was the Chinese initially, whether it was, I mean, other than maybe the South Koreans and perhaps the, the Japanese and, and people in Hong Kong, I mean, the, the people with direct experience with other viruses of this ilk in recent times, everyone blew it in part because of just the nature of this virus. Well, it's funny, even the South Koreans were criticized initially by that little spike. And I think you know, with the longer we get a vantage point of this, that little spike that they have is looking miraculous, basically. Yeah. Um, and to yeah, to your point, some of those countries, Singapore, Taiwan, Hong Kong, even South Korea, they have experience with this. And I think maybe that makes them take it a little bit more seriously. But there's two things, since this is our inaugural foray into this, and maybe our last one, depending on what people out there say, I think there's two huge things on that issue that have been sort of stuck in my craw for the last month or two. The first is... 
when the uh, WHO, that joint report came out of Wuhan, China, with all this data that you've seen, you know, 14% fatality, case fatality rate for people over 80, et cetera, et cetera. That data um, c- categorized just a simple semantics issue. They called 80% of cases mild. But mild cases, Nate, included things like up to pneumonia, <laughs> Right. And so I think to your point about the marketing, there was so many things just laying there where people said like, ah, no, most of the cases are mild. But if you had just used a slightly different word and the and I think the author of that paper is even, uh, you know, sort of regretted this word choice. If you had used a slightly different word right out of the gate, most people would say, hmm. 20, 30, 40% of people, whatever the number is, getting pneumonia, young people getting pneumonia, the way this attacks your lungs, maybe this thing is a little more dangerous than we think, right? Well, and I think also, I mean, isn't it, it's been around 20% of cases require hospitalization? Am yeah. Am reading that correctly? Well, that, that number is really difficult. And, and again, um, huge thanks to uh, Dr. Maya Majumder for coming on Thinking Basketball podcast last week and kind of explaining the difficulties from an epidemiological standpoint point on this issue but those things are still fuzzy estimates because you don't know, you don't really have a great idea of how many cases there actually are in the wild but sure. yeah yeah the yeah issue, you, you don't know the denominator exactly that, you what people have been saying a lot. exactly yeah. yeah but but one thing you can do for instance um I have it here in Spain. Spain's released some of their hospitalization data, and you can see that they have nine hospitalizations for every death right now. They have a relatively high um, that that crude case fatality rate, and so nine hospitalizations. Again, to your point of what you just said, if you had said, "Okay, the death rate out of China is two or three percent, but twenty or thirty percent of people are in the hospital," that may have changed things. The other big thing for me is the rate of transmission, which is exactly what you're alluding to about this thing sort of being the perfect storm. Um, my understanding is, that, and, and I saw a, a great video on this online, and I can't remember the credit right now, um, but the idea here is that the flu rate of transmission, the, the so-called r naught, right, that is like something like 1.3, meaning if I get it, I give it to on average 1.3 people. This thing, COVID-19, is, we don't know the exact number yet. It's still early. But, um, you know, the estimates are, let's say, in the mid-twos. Like, I, if I get it, I give it to two and a half people. So that means if I get it, I give it to 1.3 people. You and I, you know, we have dinner, Nate. We hang out. I give it to, I give it to you and 0.3 of your wife. I give it to 1.3. And then you all give it to 1.3. If you go like 10 or 11 layers deep on that, me as the individual who threw that dinner party, I'm responsible for about 18 people getting it. If we do the same thing with an r naught of like 2.6 or 2.7, and we have that same dinner party, I'm responsible for something like 55,000 people getting it. That's, that's bad. That's the difference. Yeah, <laughs> that's bad. So, so those factors are, I think, the things that are sneaking up on people. And then they're realizing as the exponential growth kicks in what's happening, and it's too late. Yeah, I mean that that's really what it is. And we just I think that in some ways the way that we've reacted to this shows a lack of empathy for the rest of the world, right? Like people are like, ah, it's happening in China. And oh yeah, but like China had to lock down an entire province, basically. Uh, you know, we, we saw those photos of even Beijing, you know, hundreds of miles away from there. Nobody out on the streets. And yet there wasn't this, it was it like, did people just think, well, the Chinese just must be stupid. That's why they're doing this, right? Like, it, it, and if it comes, or I mean, there's two things you could have thought, right? Number one was, all right, we'll just stop it if it comes here. And number two is, 
eh, they're just overreacting. I mean, both of those obviously proved because uh, those are your only two rationales I could think of for not taking this thing seriously. Uh, and you know, obviously neither of those were true, but we just like, all right, yeah, this is happening in China. It doesn't concern us. You know, and and then it happens in Italy. Ah, eh, still not not really concerning us. And then so. Oh, now, now we, we have to wait until we get a bunch of cases and then we're going to start right, things. Well, right. because of the incubation of this period of, of this virus, that's too late now. So it's, it's really the inability to just put yourself in somebody else's shoes and be like, hmm, yeah, this is happening over there. Maybe, you know, we should do something faster than they did it as opposed to, oh, no, it's hitting us now. And I mean, that's, again, is the uh, kind of the, the terrifying evolutionary beauty of this virus to just have this incubation period where once these cases really start breaking out, it's already far too late. And, and I think most people, I mean, maybe that's the other thing that just people didn't understand about this, uh, the way this operates. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna chalk that up to uh, a lot of human nature and, and the way we're wired and save my Stephen A rant for, for later. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's just, and perhaps this will end up being a lesson for people that you need to pay more attention to what's going on in the rest of the world and that, you know, those are people too and they, they're, not everybody is an idiot and and that you need to actually, uh, you know, it, something that happens in the rest of the world could, could really affect you and I think we're going to see that again when the next wave happens of if we have shortages of goods because supply chains uh, of things you never realized weren't made here. Um, yeah, guess what? The fact that like India is locked down, there's a lot of stuff that comes from India, for example, 1.3 billion people. Um, all right, this is, uh, I mean, I, I've actually enjoyed it. I think this has been good that we just have kind of talked about this. Um, again, please let us know your thoughts, but let's, uh, let's try and catch people up on, on what else is going on in the world here today before we get going. Okay, so you want to finish any any other U.S. kind of centric stories that you want to get to, or you want to hit? Yeah, I mean, um, there's a there's a few. Um, New York has obviously been the, I mean, almost the epicenter of the virus at this point worldwide. But other cities are going to be in big trouble too. And cities, I mean, there's no reason to think that other cities that were late in and states and, and areas that were late in locking things down are going to have a much better situation. Maybe it won't transmit quite as quickly because it's not as dense as New York. But Atlanta, for example, they are out of ICU beds right now mm. in Atlanta. So if you if you get sick in Atlanta for this or something else, you do not have an ICU bed. So this is when people were talking about one percent mortality. That's one percent mortality when you have a functioning medical system. And right. So, right. so that's that is. Uh, I mean, that unfortunately is probably going to go up. Um, I mean, can I let me let me read the quote from Andy Slavitt uh, on Twitter today? He was he was a huge architect of healthcare and the Obama administration and all this stuff. He he said point blank, the number one risk factor is not age or whether you smoke or an underlying condition; it's access to a ventilator. Yeah, uh, it's, it's uh, I, I mean, I, I I've never really talked about stuff that's this heavy before. Like, I don't really even know how to how to process it in a public forum this way. I mean, I guess we just try to say the facts i mean it just it, it gets repetitive talking about how horrific it is when we say these things so i, I, mean, I, I we, like we use, realize that <laughs> yes i like to use humor as a coping mechanism so now i'm going to share the story of before nate and i started recording um he he said boy you know things are really bad in new york and atlanta and i was like yeah with the knicks and the hawks yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> what's new um all right so worldwide here 
what's uh, what stuck out to you about the news that's been coming out? Yeah, so I think a couple big things just to to keep an, an eye on. Um, India is sort of commencing with lockdown mode, and India I think is a particularly vulnerable situation. They've got you know over a billion people. They almost have as many people as China, but. Um, you know, if you look at sort of world measures of things, they don't have a great medical system. Um, there are already reports of people not respecting the social distancing. Uh, testing might be an issue. So th- there is sort of a potential um, really, really bad hotspot kind of situation in India. I would think I'd keep an eye on that. The good news is that they are trying to get ahead of it and in, in, instant, instantiate one of these lockdowns early. Um, I think that's one big thing. Contrast that, of course, to Mexico and Brazil. And what's the the word out of Brazil is they're still not doing anything. Is that, am I remembering that right? So much news in one day. Goodness. Yeah. Well, uh, their president, uh, he's worried about people over 60 except himself because, uh, he's actually, <laughs> he, he considers himself to be, to be in great shape. Um, yeah. So, and, and that's, uh, again, this is, I mean, I, I think our response uh, has been inadequate so far, but there are other countries that, uh, have struggled even more. And, Mexico is on our southern border. And so the end game here, even if we can control this here, if you're talking about this V-shaped economic recovery that everyone wants, well, can you get that if you don't have any kind of open borders? Uh, can you? And there's no travel and you, you're worried about even getting goods from some of these places. There's a big outbreak. Uh, that's that's a major concern. I mean, I really think if you're going to talk about an economic recovery, most of the world is going to have to be fine and not worried about this and not worried about this coming back as well. Right. And so it's uh, you would hope that at some point a worldwide solution can come together here, but everyone is so underwater right now, it seems like we can't even think about doing that. Yeah, yet. and we're not all in the same timeline. So China today um, announced that they are going to be lifting uh, the Wuhan lockdown, I guess as of April 8th, according to ABC News. Wuhan apparently already has started partial bus service. So we'll get some idea um, of how this thing could bounce back or you know what it's like to kind of start rolling out normalcy again yeah absolutely so some other worldwide news uh, of interest prince charles tested positive for the coronavirus and he was advised that he became contagious one day after he last saw the queen which was on march 12th he he, uh supposedly uh, first became contagious based uh, on how much the virus has progressed with him uh, on march 13th that's not a huge window there but uh, Again, in case people, it wasn't serious enough with Rudy Gobert, it wasn't serious enough with Kevin Durant. Prince Charles is another just huge world figure that this is affecting. And this is not, other than with availability of testing in some cases, this is not a disease that is sparing anyone at this point in time. No, no. And of course, the, uh, you know, the queen just... Um, fingers crossed because she has been in that position and and lived for such a long time and i think you know we don't have to get into it here it's it's somewhat dark but just i don't know if we're all psychologically prepared for celebrities and famous figures to start um you know being afflicted with this and even even today another you know in the culinary world there was a a top chef winner um who you know had the disease like last week or something and and uh and passed away so um yeah prince charles is a is a is a scary one other news 
Bloomberg reporting that world ventilator demand is going to be 10 times what is currently available. And that tracks with some of the numbers that we've seen here in the U.S. So it's going to be very interesting to see how quickly this can scale. And uh, I'm worried about a lot of countries, including ours, that if people are talking about May, June for real scaling of ventilators, I mean, as much as private industry has really been trying to get this done, scaling up factories, I mean, there's just, we don't, we haven't done anything quickly like this as a society in a long time. You know, we right. haven't been tested like this in a long time. It's It's been, hey, you know, we'll get it done when we can get it done. There, we, we don't really know what we're capable of anymore, even in terms of doing things absolutely as fast as possible when we put the full weight of our society behind it if in fact the full weight of our society is going to be put behind it which is another question yeah this is this is where that wartime sort of approach mentality is productive to me because uh it's 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 been strange watching some of the perseverating if you will around the kind of response that's needed versus hey it's very clear we have an enemy it's it's a threat um it's a serious threat to a lot of lives and of course to sort of our normal status quo way of life and um it takes that what is the term all hands on deck right it takes that approach i would imagine so whether it's masks or ventilators i mean we can get to that um next time we speak but yeah just being able to uh, shore up those shortages will be huge if we can. We've had a few cases now. A 21-year-old woman in the UK died with uh, no underlying conditions from the virus. Uh, there was a teenager in California, I think, who passed away. Yep. So there are definitely cases uh, among younger people. I mean, that's been a lot of where the media pushback has had to focus on this idea that younger people are not at risk. They are at less risk. Well, they're also at a lot more risk if they're not going to have a hospital to go to as well. That That's another problem there. Um, yeah. And let's just yeah. let, let's put that in perspective, right? Like they have less. If you're younger and you're healthy, everything we seem to know is that you're at lower risk. But I mean, uh, what does that actually mean in terms of practicality it's still probably the most dangerous thing you'll you'll do in your life if i give you a bag of skittles and there's a thousand skittles and i tell you start eating but five of them will kill you instantly um these aren't things that we're sort of normally uh used to approaching or dealing with so it, there is still risk to young people in that sense both in terms of um fatality and hospitalization um you know like your lungs needing respirate uh, ventilators and things like that so uh yeah there there's there's some risk here for everyone apparently regardless of your age couple other things that really stood out to me, Japan, which has been rightfully lauded for its response to the virus, they may be getting some community transmission now. There are 41 new cases today. 10 or more of the cases, according to what is the equivalent of the governor of Tokyo, were hard to track. That could indicate that there's community transmission. And once you get community transmission, you're probably going to be in a situation, unless you have just incredible testing, where a lockdown might be necessary. And uh, that could be on the horizon if uh, that continues for Tokyo and you know maybe Japan quickly behind it. And, and Taiwan has had a similar effect recently as well. I don't know what the numbers are today, but they had, you know, their, their entire caseload in the country was like under 100 for a while. Um, and they've been very precautionary. And now they're starting to see some rise. The, the, the thinking, I guess, in the country is that um, 
people traveled away a little bit to places for spring break. Young people started to ease up a little bit. Now they're coming back in the country. And then you get that kind of community transmission where you don't know it's there and you can't track it until it's spread like wildfire. Yeah, Australia was a, another country that seemed with a ton of testing to have things more under control. Now it, it appears that that is not necessarily the case anymore. And so they've enacted rules in Sydney, for example. Uh, breaking social distancing rules is now going to lead to fines of uh, $1,000. I assume that's Australian dollars. Um, New Zealand has entered a four-week lockdown as well. South Africa is entering a 21-day lockdown. Malaysia has one until April 14th per Al Jazeera. And last thing I think we can talk about here, Dr. Mike Ryan with the World Health Organization says that essentially testing needs to increase by 80 to 100 fold to identify everyone who's infected and you know which of course is the first step to getting this under control. So, got a lot of work to do. That's I mean the testing, the protective gear, the ventilators, those seem like the real big bottlenecks for all of these societies right now and what really has to be ramped up in this wartime footing that you're talking about. Yeah, and I think just in the interest of time, we'll, there's some more stuff that we can get into that we can punt uh, until the next conversation. But there's a, there's a lot there um, to not only scale up these things, what it takes to scale them up, but the reasons, like the ramifications of scaling them up are all of those positive things in terms of identifying the virus, being able to get back to work, taking, taking measures that kind of balance out life a little bit more. So yeah, that 80 to 100 fold puts it in perspective. All right, well, thanks for bearing with us here on this first attempt we really really would love to have your feedback on how we could make this better what was good as well that we should keep doing segments you would like to hear and we will talk to you tomorrow night thanks again for tuning in across america bp supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing jobs like updating turbines at one of our indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.